1: I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question: How can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This episode of the podcast features Sadra and Mike, the co-founders of No Evil Foods. We kick off the conversation discussing the impact of COVID-19 on their business, and Sadra and Mike go into detail about how they responded and adapted, as well as the lessons they learned through the experience.
2: We tried our best to do what we could with the information that we had available, um, and we, we learned quick, quickly—not only you know from our employees, but from other businesses and from customers—that um, you know we made some missteps and we're human. We own up to that. We righted them as quickly as we could.
1: We also spend a good part of the conversation talking about No Evil Foods' bold social justice message and their perspective on recent events surrounding racial inequality, as well as the lack of diversity in the plant-based food space.
2: When everyone was going silent on social media, we chose not to be silent and just fade out into the background, but instead to utilize our platform to amplify voices um, and to donate and to share with our audience who looks to us in some ways as an influencer in the space to to guide and to provide information and to inspire action as well.
1: We touch on a lot of complicated issues with no easy answers. And I thought Sedra and Mike were refreshingly honest and open about the challenges of scaling a mission-driven food business.
0: The name of our company is an aspiration to do better every day. And I think within that is to evaluate almost every day, you know, the best thing to do and the best way to move forward and the best stance and and the way to speak about something or the way to do business. um, And to um, sort of always have the question in your mind is like, is this the way to do this? Is there a better way to do this? Is there a different way to do it? Um, And I think within the context of trying to make a huge difference,
1: I thought this one line about halfway into the conversation really captured the no evil food spirit and the secret to their rapid rise as a plant-based meat brand.
2: We are humble enough to recognize that we've, you know, got a lot to learn um, and we're smart enough to look to the right people to learn it.
1: Trust me, this is a fascinating chat and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Sadra and Mike from No Evil Foods welcome back to the Eat for the Planet podcast.
0: Great, thanks for having us. Thanks, Mel.
1: So, how first question? How are you both are doing? I know that's the most important question these days. We are healthy. We are healthy.
0: We are good. We are busy as ever, but uh, but yeah, we're doing good.
1: We've got so many potential topics to cover in this conversation. Um, let's start with you know a global pandemic because why not? Uh, I don't think this has happened before at least not in my lifetime. Uh, I'm guessing not in yours either. So if you look at what's happening in plant-based foods, on the surface, COVID nineteen has led to nothing but positives. Um, you know, you look at the data: sales of plant-based meat is on the rise. People are choosing healthier plant-based options. Plus, you add in the challenges that slaughterhouses and meat processing plants have faced uh, and have become hubs of, uh, of coronavirus and the resulting sort of controversy surrounding all of that. For most companies in this space, it's been uh, a great time in the sense that they've been able to uh, find new customers. They've seen nothing but increase in sales. Uh, those that had e-commerce as built-in in their distribution channels are suddenly seeing a flood of new customers that otherwise would not try e-commerce. So all of it, it seems kind of positive on the surface, right? But yet, I'm sure as you peel the layers of this this onion, uh, it's there's this challenges that everyone is facing and are facing, and even the companies that are doing well in this time, because let's be clear, many aren't, because they are cash-strapped or they just haven't been... Built to deal with something like this, um, how has it impacted No Evil Foods? Because you are not necessarily a new company, but you're relatively new. You only in the last few years moved into a new manufacturing facility. Um, yeah, give me a sense of how this hit you and what the first impact was like.
2: Yeah, I mean, the first impact was Expo West, right? I think yeah. it was for a lot of people in the and in, in companies in the natural food world. We were all packing our bags or already in Anaheim expecting to present and make connections and socialize and you know share our hard work and products with you know excited consumers and buyers and distributors and it's like the the big show for the natural foods world and then it got canceled and that I think for for anyone in our business that is like a very defined marker of like the start of of all of this um, we you know, it was kind of happening, but that was just like a really it was a, a Critical mass of like all right now there's like stuff's really going down Things are really getting impacted and it, it got really real all of a sudden. Um We already had our team out in anaheim when that happened. So that was most of it. Um So that started that was like our first Opportunity to figure out oh crap now what mm-hmm. um, and we've done that a number of times since then, but that was, <laughs> that was the first, first way to, you know, I think one of the things that you hit on is that we're not a new company and in a lot of ways we're still a startup. And I think that in some ways has really been to our benefit because what do startups do well, they reinvent and they change and they think fast on their feet and they're, you know, it's, it's not, it's something we do every day. Is that that thinking and that shifting and that re- reformulating plans? So we what what might have seen as like a what might be seen as a big problem for a lot of people, we saw as an opportunity. In that, all right, we're in California, we've got thousands of pounds of food with us. It's not in line with our mission to just trash it. So what do we do? And we shifted focus right away and connected with a lot of organizations um, and animal advocacy groups groups in the L.A. area and we shifted and we donated that product to, to communities there. And that was the start of, of our giving um, pattern that we continued throughout COVID. And then as soon as we got back to North Carolina, it shifted to how do we protect our team? Um, because we were deemed an essential food business and, you know, we, we understood that we would be continuing to operate. And so we shifted on how do we, how do we do this now and how do we do it better and differently than we were doing it before?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think to to your point, um, while the the kind of umbrella story around plant based has been like uh, just sort of this strange upside to what is a very challenging situation around a pandemic for 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 a lot of people, I think also within that umbrella there is challenge for challenge for everybody. There are things to be grateful for, um, you know. We, although we're still a small company, having established uh, or opened up a lot of new stores in the last year, year and a half, gave us, um, you know, kind of a really great place to be in terms of uh, retailers that were already there, that we were already on the shelves in versus another company that maybe was about to launch somewhere or was gearing up to a launch. And they, as you kind of pointed to, you know, might be strapped for cash, might not have sort of a sales opportunity there. Uh, we were in an okay place uh, in that respect. We had kind of a foundation, um, but uh, but yeah, there's um, um, definitely a huge uh, challenge in the sort of focusing on our facility and our team, and and kind of figuring out something that nobody had a plan for, nobody had ground rules for, nobody had structure for. I mean, we've got um, you know we've got a uh, a team that's diverse in age but nobody's nobody's seen a pandemic since 1918. So (laughs) we don't have anybody that diverse in age. Um, So we really had to invent a playbook and look for resources. And again, I think that does point to something that we've had to do all along is figure out how to do something we didn't know how to do. Um, So in the one sense, it's maybe the biggest challenge that we faced as a company or as people, Um, but it's also not dissimilar to other challenges along the way where we were faced with something that we, didn't know how to do didn't understand and had to look for resources and support and guidance and mentorship and coaching um, and and we you know we made mistakes along the way we had to figure out what would work and what didn't work and not everything worked perfectly um, but I think you know we've gotten to a place now where we've established um, a tremendous amount of systems and processes, uh, you know, sanitation uh, employee screening um.
2: Yeah, so what it looks like now when you come into the facility is we've got this whole like roundabout screening situation going on where you come in and we have like a no-contact screening for um, our employees at the curbside and you know, we're asked questionnaires and we get a no-contact temperature reading and you um, Gosh, so many things have been put into place. We've mm-hmm. changed our workflow of how people enter the building, um, changed the way that our our shifts, because we run three shifts a day here, the the way that the shifts come into and out of the building to minimize contact. Um, you know, before we could get a hold of face masks because no one could get a hold of face masks. Um, it was like early April, yeah. you couldn't
0: buy face masks.
2: I don't know if you remember that we had bandanas at Expo East, I think it was, <laughs> as part of like our giveaway. We turned all those bandanas that we had on hand in the marketing supplies like area, into face masks for people. Um, one of
0: our, one of the people on our quality team, her name is Emma. Um, she, she spent basically an entire, entire weekend, weekend sewing, hand sewing face masks. She made like 90 face masks out of these bandanas that we already had. Yeah. Um, and eventually we were able to buy, you know, get a hold of more and, and whatnot. So we could continue to provide them for the team. But, you know, that was just one of those moments, you know, round the clock sanitation. We have a person on each shift now that just they spend the entire shift going through the facility, sanitizing surfaces, Door knobs. you know, doorknobs, break room tables, counters, railings, whatever, whatever's common use, common touch, lockers. Um, and they just do that in rounds. Yeah. Um, and so we've had to build uh, this kind of whole system on top of our existing business for COVID. Um, we have a response team that meets every single day. We've been meeting five days a week since since mid-March, basically. Uh, just trying to stay on top of this. And it's evolved differently, obviously, in different regions. You know, North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, when we first started dealing with this, I think we had one case in, mm-hmm. in the entire county, and it was somebody that had been here and already left um, back in March. And yeah, so, so we're really
2: fortunate that we're not operating under the conditions that some other companies are operating yeah. under. Uh, if but were also on,
0: somewhere else. on a different timeline, too, yeah. just in terms of how, the pandemic has progressed regionally across the country.
2: I mean, it's been a challenge. Yeah. We're, we're on top of that, you know, you know, we're parents. And so we've got kids that we're trying Mm -hmm. to keep safe. We've got, uh, you know, almost a hundred people here on the team that we're trying to keep safe, trying to keep um, income going to these people who, who are committed to coming here and wanting to work and um, they've, the bills don't stop because the pandemic's happening and so we've got responsibility to them um, to keep them safe but also to keep them working and I think that's that's important and that's one of the things that I've felt really um, grateful for that right now we're in you know a place where 30 million people are, are out of work you No know, Evil Foods is in a position to be hiring and mm-hmm. I think that that's that's really amazing. And I think that, that that makes me feel personally very proud that I can offer that to our community right now, mm-hmm. um, that so many people are struggling. And not that we're not struggling and we don't have our challenges, but but we've been really fortunate um, to be able to continue to grow our team throughout this yeah. um, and, and throughout this increased demand.
1: If you look back, what, you know, resources or help uh, or support did you get and what would have been helpful? Like, to what extent were your investors or your advisors or your board members or coalitions and trade associations you're part of? To what extent was there information sharing happening? Because it sounded like your challenges were probably unique in some sense, but also very similar to what many other companies were facing. So, what kind of information sharing was going on and how could that be done better? So that next time around, maybe not a pandemic, but something else, we mm-hmm. we at least have a bit of a playbook on who to contact and how to get help.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good question. And my first inclination was to start talking about the federal government. And I'm yeah. not going to try not to go <laughs> that hard in that direction. Um, but I do think that there is... The
2: leadership would have helped.
0: It starts from there, right? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I do think that the vacuum of leadership around this pandemic uh, could not be understated. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And I'm trying to be trying not to be super divisive, but I think that in a lot of there were there were definitely moments where I think, as a small company, I felt like we were pretty much left to fend for ourselves and to f- kind of figure this out to the best of our ability without a lot of really strong guidance and support at the, at, at certainly at the federal government level. Um, but, um, not to say so much about local or local or state government because I think there was more there, but again, they were left in a bit of a vacuum too.
2: Yeah, who were they looking for? Um, <laughs>
0: um, but I do think that one, trying to think about a couple of the places where we did have really strong resources um, locally and regionally were tied into uh, sort of like a, um, a collective of folks in the quality um, kind of departments at different food and beverage manufacturers in Western North Carolina. So our quality team is tied in with folks at New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, um, people like Bucci Kombucha, Roots Hummus. Um, and so there was some collaborative effort there where they were sharing best practices through email and things like that. Here's what we're doing in our facility. Here's what we're doing in our facility. And early on, that definitely uh, was a, something that helped us think about um, what we should do or even gauge, like, are we doing the right thing? Are there things we should do that we aren't doing are we, you know, are we keeping up with what other companies have figured out so far? Um, that's definitely one place where we got a lot of value.
2: Um, I'd say it's a real testament to our team, like that, going back to that gritty DIY ethic, if they didn't, because the resources were scarce, I, I feel like if they didn't have that mentality and that like all hands on deck, going to get it done sort of mindset, I don't know that we would have made it through it because if there was so much scouring of the internet checking, you know, things changed within the course of a day. We would check information from the CDC and the FDA and other, you know, regulatory agencies in the morning by, you know, five, 6 PM, the guidance has changed. The number of symptoms had changed the, you know, recommendations for masks versus no masks versus who the hell knows what had changed. And we needed to be so vigilant and on top of it. And then, work our our best to communicate that fully to everybody um who people were were scared you know understandably so no one knew what was going on um and so i i just i really can't emphasize enough how proud i am of the rallying that the team did to make mm-hmm. sure that like the information was was dug up from the depths of the internet or wherever else they could find it and then it was like. Synthesized and translated and applied and put into processes and SOPs and like systems and really manipulated to something that was useful because the guidance, in a lot of ways, I feel like it wasn't there and it, it wasn't there in a very streamlined, cohesive way. And they really did have to sort of pull it out of thin air. And they did it. They did a damn good job. Yeah.
0: And I, I do think too, like one thing that we could learn from this, and and to some extent we did, and we knew the resources were there, but. Um, there's a very big difference between a company, plant based or not, that is co manufacturing mm-hmm. versus manufacturing, mm-hmm. especially in a situation like this. It's a totally different um, uh, uh, kind of scenario. And so I think, even from whether it's uh, something like Plant Based Food Association or some other connection around plant based companies or even natural products, food and beverage broadly, where you can kind of tap into the folks who are kind of in the same world that you are. Um, you know, Miyoko or Toferki or someone like that, who's also doing the same thing in terms of managing their own facility. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, that kind of connection point um, is significant during the pandemic. And also just, I think, for um, any other kind of startup support in the industry as newer companies come around, um, because it's just a very different thing to build your business when you're making the product yourself versus when you're using co-manufacturing as your main mode
2: of doing that. And that's where yeah. something like the Plant-Based Food Association has offered a lot of kind of benefits to us because we're mm-hmm. all in that association. Anyone who's sort of a, a player in the plant-based industry is part of that. And they're in that association for explicitly that reason to help make connections and help each other out. And you know, the from Michelle Simon at the executive director level to all the other positions throughout, they're all about making those contacts and saying, you know what, you're dealing with this, you should talk to so-and-so, let me make that connection. And and that's, they've helped us on a number of fronts, just getting us um, in communication with the right people to, to ask the right questions and um, kind of find the way, find the path together. Yeah.
1: And, you know, of course, I and you mentioned the team a few times and I want to make sure I, I well, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I do want to make sure that we touch on this topic. I know you've gotten some um press lately about uh, how you handled uh, the initial phases when uh, you made changes uh, in your workforce in response to the pandemic?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we we tried our best to do what we could with the information that we had available. Um, and we initially took an approach that might have been seen as a little unusual, um, but we've never really been too mainstream about things. We kind of do... Um, do what we think is right, and, and we gave it a shot. And you know, we were looking to other companies and trying to figure out how they were approaching things, um, and you know, keeping in mind what what how other companies were approaching it. Um, and we we learned quick, quickly, not only you know from our employees, but from other businesses and from customers that um, you know we made some missteps, and we're human. We own up to that. We righted them as quickly as we could. Um, and I think that there, we discovered that there were better ways to show our appreciation. Um, we immediately made changes in, in light of that. And I think we're in a really good place now where we have a lot of understanding, um, with our team.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting, we're at a sort of uh, a sort of expanded inflection point as a company in the sense of we've grown a lot in the Last year, year and a half, you know, in last year we went from 1,400 stores to 5,000 stores.
2: And in people, which, we went from about 20 team members to almost 100. Which, wow. you know, it's a, it's, it's a big
0: growth in team. Um, it's a big growth in stores, but it's also, I mean, there are something like 40,000 grocery stores in the United States alone. So we are still uh, a, a very small company in the world of making, you know, food products. Um, And so when the pandemic started um, and there were, you know, understandably from all directions, employees, ourselves, a lot of fear, concern and anxiety that continues even today on like, what does this mean? Where's this going? Um, You know, no one knew plant-based was going to have, you know, kind of this interesting spotlight shift around meat fat, you know, facilities. Um, There were a lot of concerns about, What does it mean if we have to shut down Mm -hmm. Um, that essential business thing that became part of the story? Wasn't really a clear thing even in that moment. Um, So a lot of, a lot of conversations like, well, what happens if our company has to shut down and we can't make product and the products not in the stores, will we lose customers? You know, both the people that buy the product and then the retailers will stop carrying it because we can't supply it. Um, And that was a really, really challenging moment to figure out Well, how, how are we going to safely keep operating because I'm not sure if our business survives, if we have to shut down for two or three or four weeks or how long is this going to last? Yeah.
2: We ran financial models trying to figure out exactly how long we could shut down for if we needed to, to still stay in business. It was pretty, it was pretty short. (laughs) It was pretty nerve wracking to say the least. And, and then the, you know, the essential
0: business conversation started happening and we said, okay, well, We're in a position here where we not only we can keep operating, but do do we want to keep operating? Why is that important? You know, how important is it it that people can access plant-based food, food in general, but, you know, then also to our mission, how can people be able to access quality plant-based food, uh, not even just during this time, but overall? So Mm -hmm. it, it became really important to us to be able to figure out how to safely keep operating. Um, you know, and as Sager said, it was a challenge to to negotiate that. So we didn't do everything right. You know, we made some choices that we had to pull back quickly on. Um, but we quickly realized um, you know, we now have a we did a two dollar and twenty-five cent pay raise for all of our hourly employees that started back at the beginning of April. Um, and then we extended it indefinitely at the end of May. It was supposed to be 60 days. We extended it indefinitely um, because we don't know how long this is gonna last. And also, I think there's really a true opportunity here um, to to kind of assess assess a lot of different things. This kind of takes us into maybe other parts of the conversation around Mm -hmm. around what's going on in, in, in kind of racial justice and things like that. But this was another place where we can, as a company, kind of assess the right thing to do and how to structure our business and how to best support people across the business when that, you know, whether it's uh you know wages or benefits or what have you um and you know i don't (laughs) it's sort of funny i you know i don't feel i have no philosophical disagreement with paying people uh as much as we possibly can and if there are different ways to look at that issue and support people on a you know better and better um then i'm all for it and i'm all for trying to figure out how to do it and this is kind of interestingly give us given us an opportunity to look at that, you know, more closely because of how the pandemic has shifted people's focus about kind of what's important, important. Mm -hmm. Uh, how important is, you know, we always talk about how important everybody in the company is from the people who are on the, you know, on the production line, making the product, you know, up and down, left and right on the team. You know, we talk about that and I think we, and then we definitely act upon it, but there's always room to reevaluate and try to do it better and more effectively. Yeah, I think that's what
1: I seem to be hearing consistently across the board at a, you know, personal level as well as from people who run companies is that this has brought everything into hyper-focus in terms of what truly matters. Um, and the things that don't have, it's become abundantly clear that those are a waste of time or not essential. And I'm sure everyone has their own version of lessons from the last few months. And And the longer this continues, those le- new lessons will emerge in the next few months, uh, hopefully just a few months and not years ahead. But, you know, from a standpoint of uh, being... Sort of first-time entrepreneurs, at least at this level, at this scale, your company at this interesting inflection point where you've finally crossed that initial. You're just not this. You're no longer that tiny company selling in a, in the farmers market. You've now got outside investors. You've you're you've taken control of your own manufacturing. You're giving jobs in the local economy. And your brand is getting more well known again, and you contextualize it. Yeah, maybe it's in five thousand stores, but it has a long, long way to go. By no means are you a giant food company at this point.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to remember. You know, we we're still a young company, and Mike and I are still we're young leaders. You know, we this is the first time that we've built something like this. We're not seasoned entrepreneurs. Um, we're not serial entrepreneurs who build companies as part of our you know our lifestyle. This is just something that we believe in, and this is you know, we build this company because we believe in its mission and we're going to have missteps along the way. And that's part of it. That's going back to those punk rock roots. You don't have to play the song perfectly. Um, You just have to try and then get up and try again. And we're going to fail along the way. We know that. Um, But if you're not learning, you're not living. And if you think that you're going to hit it out of the park your first try every time, you're going to I don't know. And that's just not realistic. I feel like we are humble enough to recognize that we've, you know, got a lot to learn um, and we're smart enough to look to the right people to learn it. And I think that's, that's why we've been able to grow this company as far as we have um, is because of those reasons. And I think we're going to continue to do that. And, you know, we're, we asked a lot of trust for our team to, to recognize that like, yes, we've grown a lot. Yes. We've, had a lot of success, but we're still learning every day and we're still finding out the best way to do it better. Mm-hmm.
1: And looking forward, what do you, I know it's tough to predict anything anymore because uh, things keep changing and new challenges seem to come about in this world. Um, but looking at COVID-19 and its impact on our economy, on the food industry, on the way business is done, you know, how does it, how do you feel uh, it changes the way you do business going forward, whether it's looking at new distribution channels, changing the way you uh, approach retailers. I mean, as we talked before, we started recording, we there's no gonna be, there won't be any trade shows this year. And we started off talking about Expo West and how important it is for companies that are at your stage to be at trade shows like that. Mm-hmm. How do you go about doing what you're doing and grow your company, launch new products, keep hiring people and build this brand Uh, in this new world we're living in where you can't really gather in person in most places
0: yeah yeah it's um it's been an interesting challenge um you know i think that there's a couple different things you know i think that for one you know we've seen with uh um, the challenges in the in the meat industry um, and how that has kind of shifted an even brighter spotlight on plant-based meats in particular, um, you know, how that opportunity, although it's a, you know, somewhat of sort of an, I hate using the word opportunity because mm-hmm. it's such an unfortunate scenario to have an opportunity, but I think that it's I think it's remiss to the mission not to be sort of be there and connect with those consumers when they're kind of turning their eyes to a new place in the store that they may not have put their attention before. And and so I think there's a lot that can be grown from that in the long term by getting people to kind of shift or open up their focus in this in this moment and and they're they're looking for a different option or they're turned on to the possibility of a different option and if you can make that connection now you can really build something that that has like long lasting effects by getting those consumers interested in plant-based meats Um, some of the other things about how sort of like the business is operated i think has just taken a different level of communication and vigilance whether that's um communication with buyers uh you know making twice as many phone calls instead of having in-person meetings. Um, Things have changed so rapidly that, you know, staying on top of in the same way that we had to stay on top of guidance around keeping our facility safe. um, You'll just have to stay in close touch with buyers at at retailers because they may slow down what they're doing and then four weeks later, things start happening again and you need to be in close contact with them to respond to those changes in terms of, you know, are they looking at new products now when they weren't before, um, those kind of things. Um I think one of the other big things has been uh you know that direct to consumer channel mm-hmm. and what does that mean um what has the pandemic shown us that might have long lasting effects um you know being a frozen and refrigerated product our our options there are a little bit more maybe limited um but we have seen a lot of excitement around um kind of um I guess you would call it like meal box or meal kit opportunities. Um, Like our products are available with imperfect foods as one Mm -hmm. of their pantry items. Uh, And that's been a huge, um, like unexpected jump in, in, in sales there. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I'm also interested to really see as, as so many more consumers um, that maybe weren't ready for, you know, grocery home delivery, or ordering online, things like that, that were kind of forced to take advantage of that option um, because of the pandemic are going to continue to utilize that going forward. Um, and I'm not 100% sure what that means for our brand exactly, but it definitely could be kind of the big shift in direct-to-consumer that everybody was waiting for. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to kind of hold on after the fact because you know you ask yourself, why would you go back if this was so much more convenient and easy and you get used to doing it? why stop doing it? Um, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> I'll answer that in a slightly different way as well. Um, I think that this, this is going to sound a little crass, but this happened at just the right time. Um, and by this, I mean the pandemic. Um, and I say that because, you know, the the increased awareness of the outcome of the COVID-19 outbreaks and slaughterhouses, um, it's, the fact that it's causing, you know, an oversupply of meat, and then these animals need to be culled unnecessarily because they're not actually being consumed at the end of that process. Um, that has caused people, I hope, and and in larger numbers to really question their choices more than ever before. And the reason I say that the time is right now is because the plant-based community is particularly poised to be there for those consumers when they're looking for alternatives. This community of businesses and this increase and influx of new products and the, um, the better tasting and better textured products that have been coming to market in recent years has that groundwork has all been laid sort of in the background and it's been brewing. Um, and we've sort of got this covert plant-based thing happening where there's a movement we're rising up and we're, we're ready to take on as many people who are ready to come and join, join our team. Um, and so I think in that way, um, We we you know we're really well positioned to support those consumers who are now examining their food choices and wondering how can we eat more consciously and and the opportunity is right.
1: That's true, and it's kind of how we started the conversation, right? It it, on the surface, it maybe there is a net positive to all of this, and it's going to take some swimming through mud to get to that point. But um, I. I, yeah, I do think there is going to be some shifts in consumer behavior. There's going to be some shifts in even the way the food industry works and some of the inefficiencies in in connecting with buyers and the amount of money you have to spend to, to go and put on a big show for them and sampling. And maybe this is, uh, again, maybe the wrong word, but there are a lot of opportunities to be found in this, in the midst of all the struggle and the pain and the unfortunate challenges that many people are facing across the country and globally. I Uh, we've
0: always, I was just going to say, we've always, you know, it's always been a focus of our company. I mean, you can, you're making plant-based meats and, and you're, you've got, we've got a really, really strong focus on the why behind why we do that. And it's really easy to be very, very negative about that. When you talk about slaughterhouses, when you talk about how animals are treated, when you talk about health, when you talk about the environment, it's really, really easy to think about how quote unquote terrible everything is, um, or is going to be. Um, but we have from very, from the very beginning, I mean, just recognize that that's not how you connect with people. And in the end, what we're doing is all about connecting with people around why to make this choice. So, you know, in a sense, we're always looking for the positive and we always have been how do we how do we talk about how this is positive how do we help people to feel like they're making positive improvement how in do we their encourage
2: lives? people instead of shame them mm-hmm.
0: yeah and so this is just another place i think where we can say this is a, a a pandemic is an obviously terrible terrible thing and a lot of people are hurting and will be hurting for a long time but how can we find positive elements and then not just expose them but do what we can as a company to mm-hmm. um I just have an effect there so you know not you know it's not just merely saying like here's a positive way you can affect your life but then even beyond that like how can we create positive outcomes on the other side of something that is terrible
2: and i think that that i mean that leads us into a- another topic i know know you wanted to talk about which is you know the the social unrest right now and the uh, the racial injustice that everyone is rightfully putting so much more emphasis and focus on but you know, so out of something terrible, this repeated and systemic, um, disproportionate treatment of people of color in America, what can what good can come out of that, right? But so protests are happening, people are taking to the streets, people are calling their local governments, people are pushing for change, and I think that it's important to kind of look beyond the protest or look beyond the effects of. Covid nineteen and the unemployment um, to really talk about and evaluate and rebuild um, a system that functions um, and that whether that's the food system or whether that's you know our our police reform uh, systems that you know ultimately should be taking place it's an opportunity to revisit all of that and reimagine the way that things could be or should be.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Of course, I do want to get your take on this for multiple reasons. One is because um, George Floyd's murder and the social unrest that has followed in the last month or so since all that happened, as much like COVID-19, has really forced people to, maybe in a different way, but take a look at their lives and their behaviors and take a look at themselves in the mirror and ask themselves some tough questions about what their stance is on some of these issues. Um, and it's made businesses do that as well. And there's obviously a range of opinions on whether businesses should say something or whether they should not or whether they, they should try to you know, support diversity but not speak beyond that. Uh, I don't think this is a political issue. So, And I think people who are making it a political issue are missing the point and are part of the problem, in my opinion. This is bringing into focus things that have systemically been a problem in this country for centuries. And it has just brought it all to the surface, perhaps because, as many people have pointed out, we have less distractions, we're all locked at we're sitting at home, and we have suddenly, when you watch what has happened, and you look back at the history of these injustices, you can't help but not only be angered, but be forced to do something and say something. And in the context of food companies, you know, I know you've, and we've talked about this the last time you were on the podcast. Uh, no Evil Foods has been generally way more vocal about social issues and political issues, um, not without its negative consequences. You've often gotten pushback and criticized for it in the past about you're a food company, you just sell food. Uh, but I think in this context, given the the nature of of inequality Uh, it does connect a lot to what's happening in the food system as well and one of the reasons i wanted to bring this up as a as an issue and i've i'm gonna i've been asking people and i'm going to continue asking leaders in the food industry and particularly in the plant-based food industry this question is because we talk a lot about sustainability and we talk about feeding the world in 2050 and i talk a lot about that on this podcast as well and yet, we can't ignore the fact that if you look at natural food industry overall, uh, and plant based is you can call it a subset of that industry, about seventy three percent of the consumers are predominantly all white. Uh, it it you know, and not only that, not only is the consumer base queue white because the products tend to be more expensive and mostly initially available on the coast. Um, and are not available in every retailer, and that's another challenge we need to overcome. When you look at the companies and their leadership, whether it's their boards or senior leadership, there's a or even their teams, there tend to be a lack of diversity. So there's multiple layers to this problem. One is a systemic issue about food access and distribution, and no one company can solve all those problems. So I'm by no means am I saying no evil or any other company should have a solution for that. But you've got to figure out where you fit into that bigger system you're part of, and then secondly, what do you what do you do besides taking a stance and saying something on social media? Uh, like, how do you live out those values in a way that seems like you're really, really authentically trying to solve these problems versus um, feel like you need to react because that's that, or you don't want to be looked upon as being tone deaf or uh, mm-hmm. or someone who doesn't care. I know that's not a real question, but it's, a lot now. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll boil it down to one question, which is, you know, what is your role and what are you doing um, to, to yeah. be on the right side of history on this?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think veganism is undeniably linked to social justice, and this is no exception. I would echo what you said. This is not a political issue. This is a human issue. And we are very open about our our stance on that. Um, When everyone was going silent on social media, um, we chose not to be silent and just fade out into the background, but instead to utilize our platform to amplify voices um, and to donate and to share with our audience who looks to us in some ways as an influencer in the space to, to guide and to provide information and to inspire action as well. So we donated, um, but we also understand that like a series of social media posts and, a, you know, a letter of um, declaration of your stance and um, all of those things aren't enough that um, this is going to be a long-term kind of commitment that individuals and companies and communities need to make and and work through together. And so we've come together as a company. uh, We're starting to do a lot of internal discussions about um, how we can take this on and tackle it. Um, We've already done some trainings um, on on these issues with um, like 14, 15 members of our our team um, that attended trainings. We are putting together um, an internal kind of action team to start to assess some of these Um, issues and figure out ways that we can do things better. And um, we're committing to an equity audit as well for our company to help highlight, you know, what, what areas are we strong? What are we doing good? um, And then what areas can we, can we improve on and how do we do this better? How do we level the playing field? How do we right the wrongs? Um, How do we undo the systemic damage that's been done? Um, Some of the things, one of the things that I think that we've done as a company for, for some time is working with, Um, uh, team members who were formerly incarcerated and we work with a community organization that um, helps make referrals of um, qualified candidates who've been in the justice system and you know one in three Americans have been in the justice system and if you're asking certain questions on in your application process you're automatically um, setting aside potential candidates based on um, what could be in some cases a really minor record Um, and that's a really big systemic problem that we have a small opportunity to to write um and so we're we're committed to doing that we've been working with that organization for about a year and a half now yeah um yeah so yeah we don't we don't do in addition to working with that organization we don't do background checks on on any
0: you, know, you hire so that that opens up opportunity for folks who may have previously been in the justice system regardless of that program or not too which is um might seem like a small thing, but again, it can, it can allow for us to offer opportunities to a more diverse um, group of people. Um, I, you know, I think for, for me and for, for, I think, for No Evil Foods, it's, again, a moment of reckoning to say, we stand, we stand behind um, the voice that we've put out there on social media. Those are things we truly believe. Um, we can, you know, make donations to organizations, which is important and valuable, um, you know, but then also acknowledge you know we have work to do ourselves. how can we refocus you know our efforts in the right directions and the right ways as a company to make uh, a bigger impact both internally and then externally um, and so I think it's along the same lines as as a, as as the conversation has been about not just being you know sort of not a racist but to actually be actively anti-racist and I think as a company that's The way that we're approaching this is: how do we be? You know, we've always approached these things as like, how do we be more active? How do we do something instead of just say something or just sell something? So this is another place where it's like, okay, well, how do we really be actively anti-racist as a company? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the reality of that is, um, and and I think in terms of some of the training that we've done and things that we've we've already started to try to dig into, you you first of all want to sort of take your time. To figure out how to do that and the right ways to do it
2: Um, the impulse is to be reactive like you said and just you know like you're drinking through a fire hose and you just want to do all the things right away because you want to do something you do something
0: (laughs) that's not always helpful
2: right Um, and so and also
0: you know acknowledging our place in the in the country in the world in terms of what we can affect and and maybe what we can't uh you know for the size of company that we are Um, And so I think a lot of that has to do with thinking like, how do we focus internally first or locally in our community and say, how can we be the best company that we can be? And how can we maybe build partnerships in our community that can help support uh, the right kind of efforts um, as, you know, kind of the first steps um, to being in, to improving um, or or taking steps forward.
1: Yeah. Also, you know, taking it sort of, Beyond no evil foods, and talking more about the the industry, mm-hmm. I'd love to get your thoughts on what do you think the plant based food industry overall? I mean, many of the companies in the space are very mission aligned, both from a sustainability standpoint as well as to improve food access and to kind of address this issue of food insecurity that disproportionately affects people of color. But yet, I've, you know, I've not really seen... And and part of it is because the system is stacked against plant proteins anyway. Um, so it's not as simple as cut the price of your products and make sure it's at every corner store and bodega and deli across the country. There you go. Now your plant-based proteins are accessible by, by everyone. If, if, if it was economically possible, I'm sure most companies would have done that already. Um Yeah, what are your thoughts on some of that, on solving the access issue? Uh, Is there some new way to do that or the only way forward is to continue to grow and get your products into as many retailers as possible? And by virtue of doing that, you automatically eventually reach the customers that most need it. Um, I just want to figure out what companies can either do individually or even collectively to try to address some of these challenges in addition to speaking about how sustainable they are and how better they are for the planet?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, one of the things that you said is that, you know, the vegan community is, is super white and and you're right um i think it's something like 8% of vegans are are you know identify as african american but what's also interesting is that african americans are the fastest growing segment of people who are adopting veganism so i mean i think one of the things that we can do is we can look at how how we message to to our potential consumers um what are we saying what does our social media feeds look like are they representing a, a diverse group of people um who who are we really speaking to and that's not gonna change the, the financial accessibility question. Um, but like you said, that's a that's a more loaded answer um, mm-hmm. because of meat subsidies, and like you said, it's kind of already stacked against us. Um, so, you know, what can we do? How can we think about who we partner with when we are doing our social media partnerships? Um, what bloggers are we communicating with? Um, how does just the look of our feed, are we, you know, if we're showing people on our feed um, with our food, Are they only white people or are we trying to be more more diverse because that's more reflective of the world that we're living in and bringing equal um, emphasis to the value that that all kinds of people bring to the food community? Um, What types of recipes do we share? Um, And just really thinking about that a little more critically, I think, is Mm -hmm. is one way that we can open up that world to an audience that maybe hasn't is receptive to it, but is feeling excluded from it.
0: I also think, too, I think there's something to be related here to that issue of uh, kind of the difference between creating equality and creating equity mm-hmm. around yeah. doing making an effort to a concerted effort to acknowledge and do something about the disadvantage that 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 white privilege has essentially created, has created. Um, and how, as a company, can you respond to that when you're trying to connect with 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 a diverse, you know, diverse group of people? Um so it's not, you know, it's not just a question of equal, but it's a question of acknowledging like a, a disadvantage. I think that has to be made up for in some way, and and acknowledging, I think that we don't have all the answers mm-hmm. for that yet. Um, and and but that I think that it, the first step there is acknowledging that that you need to do something about that. Um, and I also think too, I mean, you know, price is you can't leave price out of it, yeah. um, because it's definitely part of the equation. Uh, you know, I think for us, part of that is is running a good business. You know, if we are more efficient, if we are less wasteful, if we are, um, you know, if our, if our, as a, as a manufacturer, if our processes are better, um, you know, we can start to apply those efficiencies to the price of the product for consumers. We can also apply it internally to support our team. And and that can be, that can be part of this conversation, kind of both sides of that are part of this conversation in terms of creating equity. Um, You know, so I can't, you can't understate that price issue because, in the end, most folks are making their decisions at the shelf around price.
2: <laughs> and, and we have yeah. we have done work on pricing yeah, sure. too. I mean, you yeah. know, retailers like like Walmart. Um, we have a, a new uh, reduced EDLP with them, so our everyday low price is now a dollar less than it used to be. I think we're at five ninety nine with Walmart now, so mm-hmm. that's one of the lowest places that you'll find us. Um, and that's one of the things that we did to, in part, increase that ex- accessibility piece. Um, we know that most people in America, ourselves included, live closer to a Walmart than they do to a Whole Foods or another natural um, grocery retailer. And so the fact that we can show up on the shelf there at an everyday low price of 500, $5.99 really does a lot to improve our, our access.
1: Yeah, I all of what this conversation to me is leading up to this, this um, bigger question, really, that... Uh, I think you're a very unique company, even if you had to survey the plant-based food industry. You guys have always done things differently, even within the space that is considered to be different from the rest of the industry. Um, And sometimes, and I guess in some ways you can look at some of the recent challenges you've had as being just a result of, it's always, I don't want to use the word fun, but I think some people take pleasure in watching things that stand for something, uh, appear to not stand for it. I mean, it's it's enjoyable almost for some people to watch that happen. Um, and a better way to probably frame it is like, how do you really succeed as a business and do good at the same time? Is it even possible if the system we're operating under is a flawed system to begin with, right? Capitalism is not perfect, but it is a system we have. Um, when you're running a business, you've got to make, these challenging decisions between you want to grow and have the impact because the only way to actually change the way people eat and to change the food system is to grow. But then you don't want to grow at the cost of your employees and at the cost of the environment, at the cost of uh, the things that you value the most. So there's this constant push and pull of values and mission with at the end, you have to sell stuff. And you've got to make money so you can pay people a, 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 a fair wage. So it is, a, it's very complicated. It's, it's it goes beyond just having, you know, a, a making statements on Instagram or having a, a brand with a, a very big mission statement. And let's just say, you know, I don't, I can't think of one company that has forget the food space beyond that has truly figured it out. Often mm-hmm. I'll give the example of like Patagonia and many others do as oh, look at that company. They didn't go public. They chose to stay private. They do really odd things by telling you to send your clothes back and get them repaired. They stand for sustainability. But they're not perfect either. Let's Mm -hmm. be clear. I'm very inspired by their story, and I think they often are used as a model of how to be conscious as a capitalist. Um, But at the same time, they, they do a lot of the same things, and I'm sure you can find press out there about them, doing a lot of the same tricks that you use to sell products while they claim to stand for a lot of things. And by no means is this designed to be a criticism of any company, especially not Patagonia. But it's really, I'm giving that example to illustrate this challenge of how do you do the right thing and be not evil, uh, yet work within a system that perhaps is inherently evil and, um, and where do you find that compromise to be maybe per, not perfect, but do the best you can? Can How do you, and I don't expect you to have all the answers on this one either.
0: I have a very concise answer. It's no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but like, how do you navigate these challenges as you continue to grow and should grow? Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way you can change the world. Um, yeah. yeah. How do you, how you, how do you grapple with these issues? I'm sure it comes up a lot in your company.
2: Hmm but it's it's really difficult to answer because in in large part like it's a moving target what is evil to you might be different to what's evil to me and what might be evil to someone down the street and so i think that's why the, the genesis of our name is important to understand is that no evil isn't about any particular single evil it's not a hard stance of meat is evil or gmo food is evil or you know what have you is evil. It's more about our approach of trying to find the positive and do good. And so it's less about a, a mandate and more about an ambition and an aspiration to, to do better. And that can extend to anything because there's very little in this world that can't be improved upon. Um, yeah, I think,
0: and I think that's, that's sort of the right, I always think of it as an aspiration. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our na- the, the name of our company is an aspiration to do better every day. And to and I think within that is to, as Sadra said, to evaluate almost every day, you know, the best thing to do and the best way to move forward and the best stance and the, and the way to speak about something or the way to do business, um, and to um, sort of always have the question in your mind is like, is this the way to do this? Is there a better way to do this? Is there a different way to do it? Um, and I think within the context of trying to make a huge difference, you know. I, for all the excitement around plant-based and plant-based meats in the last several years, um, you know, for us, plant-based meats is still this tiny, tiny little 1% of protein or meat in the, in the United States right now. It's, it's the tiny little thing. There's so much that we need to do uh, to make, you know, a significant impact on the way people eat um, that, we think really hard about the best way to move forward when we really feel like there's so much to be accomplished by reaching so many more people with the message around why to make this food choice and how that is truly like such a, (laughs) such a revolutionary thing really because the system is still so much geared towards eating, you know, eating animal protein. Um, And so I'm almost losing the genesis of the question, I think. Yeah, I
1: mean, that... I guess can you tackle that challenge without falling without falling into the trap of being the same as those companies that created the problem in the first place? Mm-hmm. Can you truly not only shift protein consumption to plants and by virtue of doing that make the world yep. a better place, but can you use different tactics and be better in your process? to achieve those end goals. Because one way of doing it is just growth at all costs. We don't care how it's done. Run your company however it needs to be done. Be as ruthless as possible with your partnerships, with your employees, with yeah. everyone, because sure. at the end of the day, people will consume plants and that's what's most important. Or right. can you actually, you know, build a, a, a culture, a, a, a business strategy, partnerships that are, that live out these values that you Hold or is it impossible? Is, is I guess no, the no, genesis I, of my
0: question. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's. I mean, I think it's essential um, to look at it. Uh, I don't know if both ways is the right way of putting it, but to look at both. Um, you know what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to build as a community. You know, like we think of no Evil Foods as a community within a part of our. You know, the community where we are, and I think, um, you know, we're always trying to build, um, the best company while also trying to sort of become being a part of this bigger goal. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's pay or benefits or cultural, you know, cultural, other cultural things about, about, how, how we, how we not do business out in the world, but do business here with each other and how we work together. I
2: think it's all to make that big <laughs> impact. I mean, try to sum it up in order to make that big impact and have that, that global effect that ultimately is our goal it's still a series of small steps, Mm. whether that means that the person at the grocery store is choosing to eat plant-based one day, that's their small step, but it also means small steps for our company too. It's, you know, choosing to invest in our people time and time again, even if our cash flow might not show that to be a wise decision, but we do it (laughs) anyway because we personally feel that that's what needs to be done. And I think when you make those choices time and time again and make those, those tough calls, um, To do what's right repeatedly, that ultimately is how you get to where we want to go.
1: Yeah, well, I think you summed that up pretty well. I think that's it's an aspiration, as you said, Mike. It's also if you've got to know what you're working towards, and uh, you've you've got to know where you where you stand on certain issues and what you value, and then you've got to live up to those values. It's it's obviously easier said than done, but but having that aspiration is the starting point. I want to wrap up with something. <laughs> I'll try to be positive. So let's try to get... I know this has been a challenging conversation, not because these are issues you're not willing to confront and we aren't willing to talk about. It's because there's no easy answers to most of these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate, firstly, you taking the the time to to be open and vulnerable and to talk about things that you maybe don't have the clearest answers or definitely don't have any talking points around. Uh, and that in itself, I think, is a, is a step forward, and I wish more people did that, um, because we need to, we can't get to where we need to go if we don't open ourselves up to uh, questioning our own faults and also thinking about how we can do things better going forward. Mm-hmm. So talking about going forward, I mean, these are challenging times by, no matter how you look at it, for everyone, um, and I know it's tough to predict anything anymore, but what if you had to be optimistic and hopeful, what do you think is going to come out of this this strange phase for humanity? And and you can answer this question generally about socially what's going to change, what you hope could change, politically what could change, or just you know focus on the food industry, or just focus on your company. What one or couple of positives that you hope will come out of this? strange and ever-changing time that we're living in right now?
2: Asking the tough questions, man. <laughs> um, I hope that there's self-examination happening on, on all fronts and a renewed sense of kindness for one another. I think that that's been in short supply Um, People have been very quick to react to each other uh, when there's a disagreement on a subject or political stance or a social issue. And I hope that throughout everything that's happening, that there's a sense of community that evolves from it. We all went through something and that's very rare that we can have an event that we experience collectively um, and that impacts us not all equally because there's, you know, it has disproportionately impacted certain populations. Um, but we've all, it's touched each and every one of us. No one has been spared from this and it's very rare to have that sort of experience. And so I, I hope that throughout that we have a renewed sense of togetherness. Um, I, I feel like a very hippie saying this right now, but a, more unity and more um, togetherness and kindness for one another. I think that that would be a really positive um, and, and much needed outcome. And please go vote <laughs> <laughs> yeah I am
0: um, I'm not sure if I can say it better. I'm gonna try, but <laughs> or differently um, I, I I guess I would just take it back to what we talked about earlier, which is which is how positive can come from challenge or come from I don't want to say negative, I guess, but um, I just think there's so much to learn from. An experience. I mean, we've seen in the last six months, um, collectively as at least a country, if not a world, um, sort of a collection of experiences that, you know, wouldn't, you might, it might take years to have all those things happen. Very consolidated. And they all happen, you know, in the same in couple months, you know, from a pandemic to uh, kind of the racial and social unrest, even those, those two things for them to happen within the span of a couple months. Um, but there's just so much good that can come out of that, so much improvement in the way that we, um, the way that companies do business, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we support each other, um, just as people, um, the way that we think about um, how we eat, um, why we make those choices, um, just how we can do better. Um, I think there's a lot to learn about how can we do better, and the fact that these things have kind of focused us in on that question. Uh, is such, such a really amazing opportunity um, in so many different ways that it's hard to isolate. Mm-hmm. You sit down and think like, how could we do better? There's so many different things you could be thinking about and so many positives that could come out of that. That it, you know, it can, If you think about that, I think it can leave you encouraged for the future on the other side of these things and, or you know, just kind of moving through them and learning from them that like, how can we do better? Is such a great question to be asking yourself uh, you know, every day. And and it, it ties me back to I'll bring it just back to no evil foods because that was the aspiration. It was how can we how can we do better? Um, and we try to ask ourselves that, you know, and sometimes in an unconventional way, um, depending on what it is. But we always try to ask ourselves that about everything. Is like how can we do this better? Um, yep. Yeah. Zedra
1: and Mike, thank you. It's, uh, all, as always, it's been a pleasure chatting with both of you. For sure.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: always you. nice to talk to you. Yeah.
1: You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.